Section six of Miss Priscilla Hunter and My Daughter Susan by Pansy. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. My Daughter Susan, Chapter One Planning a Campaign. That was the term by which I had always heard her mother designate her, and I had heard the term a great many times. It seems to be necessary for Mrs. Carleton to speak often of her daughter. I had never met the young lady, but I had a general idea of how she looked and acted. When I complimented Mrs. Carleton on the extreme evenness of her machine stitching, she was sure to reply, "'My daughter Susan runs the machine for me. She sews very nicely.' If I commented on the delicacy of her sponge cake, instantly I heard the refrain, "'Yes, my daughter Susan rarely makes a mistake in her cake.' If I said anything about the exquisite neatness that prevailed in the sitting-room, where several little children were allowed full play, my friend would reply with a satisfied air, "'My daughter Susan always had a faculty for keeping things straight. I never could understand how she did it.' Once I called for my friend to go on an important commission which had been entrusted to us, and as we passed down the street I said, I was fearful that you would not be able to go. Mr. Carlton said that your little Fay was not quite well. Oh, the mother answered with a relieved air and smile. My daughter Susan is at the helm. Fay is quite willing to exchange me for her at any time. What a blessed comfort a quiet, domestic, elderly daughter must be, fashioned like that sensible Susan of Mrs. Carlton's. This I said to my husband one evening, as I fretted a bit over some jar in our domestic machinery. Now, Mrs. Carleton never has any trouble. Her sewing and her housekeeping and her nursery arrangements move like clockwork, all because she has an elderly, sensible, homely daughter who is not the fashion and has no inclination to be. Really, I think there is more comfort to be taken with that sort of daughter than any other. "'Did you ever see Miss Carleton?' my husband asked, wheeling around to me with his necktie half-arranged. "'No, I never did. Queer, isn't it? But I know precisely how she looks and acts. Doesn't her mother quote her to me on every useful and commonplace occasion?' My husband turned back to his necktie with a queer smile on his face, and the sententious remark, when you make the young woman's acquaintance, I should like to hear from you again. The fact of my not having met Miss Susan is easily explained. Her mother and I were watering-place acquaintances. We had grown intimate during our enforced absence from home, and discovering that our homes were in the same city, we, on our return, continued the intimacy. At the time of which I write, we had been at home but a few weeks, and my calls at the Carlton mansion had all chanced to be made at hours when the elder daughter was either absent or specially engaged. One sunny morning I dropped into my friend's nursery and chatted with her until their dinner bell rang. "'Come down to dinner,' the lady said, with that cordial cheeriness of tone which carries a sense of hospitality in it. "'We are quite alone, and my daughter Susan will be glad to meet you.' She was remarking the other day that she ought to know you. She is in the dining-room now, I presume, giving a general oversight to things. 
She generally goes down ten minutes or so before the bell rings. Sometimes, indeed, she spends her morning there. She likes to have things arranged just right. As we descended those basement stairs, I found myself wishing for the hundredth time that I had a daughter Susan, or an elderly, sensible, useful relative of some sort, one who was grey-eyed and pug-nosed and short-waisted and round-shouldered, and thoroughly good and wise about kitchens and nurseries and cellars and garrets, and all the bewildering train of responsibilities which come under the general name of housekeeper's duties. How did I happen to form that idea of this useful young lady's personal appearance? Well, really now, I hardly know. Why is it that when one hears of a thoroughly efficient young woman, one instinctively has an idea of a rather ungraceful, untasteful, shy, silent creature? I wonder if it can be because our pretty, graceful, tasteful, talkative girls are not inclined to be efficient about useful things. Miss Susan's very name impressed me. Had it been Evelyn, or Alice, or had it been Mamie, or Fanny, or even Susie, I should perhaps have gotten a different idea. But the round, solid, uncompromising sound of Susan, I found, left its impression. My meditations were broken in upon by the sound of Mrs. Carleton's voice, with a touch of motherly pride in it, as she introduced, my daughter Susan. Round-shouldered and short-waisted? The lady who turned quickly from the redisposal of some dish and gave me cordial greeting was shapely enough and graceful enough, even in the plainness of her morning dress, to have graced her mother's elegant parlor instead of her kitchen. I noticed her nose at once. I always do. Why, it would perhaps be difficult to tell, but there wasn't the slightest touch of pug to it, and she had those clear, strong eyes of a peculiar shade of brown that indicate strength and sweetness. From that introduction, my daughter Susan became a curious study to me, and it is certain little outgrowths from that study which I wish to present to you. I was not long in discovering that nature had intended the young lady for a leader, that she could influence minds with which she came in contact by the force of her stronger will. Such being the case, the important question was, how did she please to influence those minds? I studied her to try to discover. Her wonderful executive ability was another element that gave her power. She could accomplish more in one day than any other woman that I ever knew. Watching her, it appeared that half the secret lay in her habit of planning ahead. She carried out a half-dozen schemes at once. This faculty shone conspicuously in all the minor household duties which fell to her lot. Did she have occasion to go up to her mother's room, it seemed to flash upon her that she should pass the jelly closet on her way, and that certain jellies would be needed for dinner, and that the linen closet was just across the hall, and piles of clean table drapery lay ready to be sent there, which might as well go then, and a book that her mother would be inquiring for was on the parlor table, she would just take it along, and little Ted's tin horse she noticed on a shelf in the back kitchen, he would be sure to want it, 
she would step there and take it up to him. Thus her one journey accomplished half a dozen errands, and her descent was equally triumphal. After a few days of careful watching, it ceased to be a wonder to me that everybody in that house, from the father down to young Tim, the errand boy, called after, depended upon, and quoted, my daughter Susan. One well-remembered day, several things happened to make the peculiar traits of this young lady shine out with remarkable clearness. Of the events of that day, you shall have a brief history. It was a long day. In fact, it began the evening before. My family being absent, I was invited to spend the time with my friend. On the morning after my arrival at the Carlton homestead, as I made my toilet, I remember wondering how Miss Susan would look in a morning wrapper, and if her hair would be in crimps or how. I went downstairs early and quietly, knowing that my habits were earlier than my friends, and fearing lest I might disturb others of the family. But Miss Susan was in the back parlor, all the windows open, a gay handkerchief tied over her head and a duster in her hand. "'I'm almost through,' she said, greeting me with a sunny smile, "'and I'll give you a comfortable spot in two minutes. I'm belated this morning.' "'You are dressed for the street?' I said in an inquiring tone, as I noticed her trim walking suit. "'If it is for a morning walk, may I accompany you?' She laughed gaily. I must see to the cakes and the beefsteak, I am afraid, instead of walking out for my health. Irish Nellie doesn't succeed in quite meeting father's ideas as yet, in regard to those two items, though I have hopes of her. However, I presume I shall go soon after breakfast. Something generally occurs to send me out of a morning. I am errand girl in general for this establishment. You are looking inquiringly at my street dress. I long ago gave up the practice of wearing wrappers. It required too many dressings. Did you give up the crimping pins for the same reason? I asked her, as she untied and shook out the gay handkerchief, and I saw that her hair was neatly and smoothly coiled. Well, yes, she answered brightly. At least I don't indulge in them very often. They are a sort of luxury that I keep for great occasions. Father thinks them so very unbecoming, in the chrysalis state, you know, and one likes to appear well before one's father. We were just up from breakfast when the doorbell gave a quick, sharp ring, and a young gentleman was ushered into the sitting-room. He had inquired for Miss Susan, and she was promptly forthcoming, a large bib apron of neutral-tinted calico, which protected her dress, not having been removed. "'Good morning, Frank,' she greeted him genially. And then, as if time pressed, "'Is everything right for this evening?' "'Not exactly,' he answered with a nervous little laugh. "'On the contrary, I am in the mood to feel that everything is wrong. I don't know what you will say to it. They have ordered wines among their refreshments.' "'Indeed, who has?' Well, young Saunders and Mr. Templeton are the leaders. I learned of it by accident, and it is, or was, the intention to keep the matter quiet from some of us. Miss Carleton mused. 
Her brown eyes seemed browner and larger than ever. She picked a bit of paper into tiny bits while she thought, and then, when ready to speak, threw them energetically into the grate. Frank, let's consider ourselves insulted. Which will require no very great strength of the imagination, he answered quickly. I am sure I feel so, but the question is, what can we do about it? The first thing that occurs to me is something that we won't do. We won't go, shall we? Why, if you say not, but can you manage that? Aren't you pledged to sustain the entertainment? By no manner of means am I, with a quick flash of the brown eyes. My acceptance of the invitation was under the supposition that the inviters were gentlemen. This proves to be a mistake. My daughter, imposed the mother's expostulating voice, isn't that being a little too severe? I don't see that it is, mother. In these times, and especially when some of the invited guests are known to have taken a very strong ground in regard to the use of liquors, to produce them for entertainment seems to me not much short of insult. But, my dear, could you not hope to make a change in the program of refreshments? Is that matter beyond your control? It does not come within our line of work, mother, and indeed if we could, by special petition, succeed in prevailing on the gentlemen to show ordinary courtesy to us, I don't think we are either of us in the mood to petition. We would rather show that we believe ourselves to have been discourteously treated. Am I right, Frank? Of course you are. You always are, for that matter. And yet... Then he hesitated. Well, and yet what? You see trouble in the distance. What is it? Why, I see those for whom we are just now specially anxious, led into mischief with this thing. Led farther, because you, for instance, are not to be there to help them. That is it, chimed in the mother. By making an effort to have the objectionable feature removed, you save some, or at least you have the opportunity to try to save some who are perhaps too weak to resist temptation. Don't you see? Mother, I don't see. If this were the only party we need expect for the entire season, and a successful effort to suppress wine or champagne, or any other of the forms which the creature takes, how many shapes does it appear in, Frank? Would suppress it for the entire season— your suggestion would be better. But don't you both see that showing our willingness to be counted in with such company, and honor their invitations, provided they will not use liquors in our presence, enters no protest against their doing it on any of the hundreds of occasions when we are absent? What I want is, to show Mr. Saunders and Mr. Templeton and others of their stamp, that we propose to associate with gentlemen." I see your point, said the young gentleman. But, Susan, I am trembling for Charlie Davis and Leonard Burton and a half a dozen others. Fred Harrison, for instance, perhaps more than any of them. What can we do? Miss Susan chewed thoughtfully at the end of the lead pencil in her mouth and tried in an absent way to fit her toe to one of the triangles of the carpet and said nothing while the young man watched her, as though she had been the president, 
and he was awaiting an appointment. As for the mother, she regarded her daughter with a half-anxious, half-proud air, and then turning to me, said in a sort of apologizing tone, The child does go to such lengths. One never knows what to expect next. At last Miss Susan looked up with a bright flash of triumph in her eyes. Frank, she said, can't we be revenged on them for spoiling our pleasure in this inconsiderate way? Suppose we break up the party for them, and preach an excellent sermon on temperance thereby. How? Oh, in a dozen ways. I think of seven young men, most of them in danger, whom I believe I can pledge to write notes of declinature. Not only that, but I believe they will state why they decline. Now, of course, that rather depends on whether you will be responsible for as many young ladies. You are equal to seven young ladies, aren't you, Frank? The dismayed look on the said Frank's face caused Miss Susan to break into a merry laugh, which, however, she checked almost immediately as she said, I assure you I don't feel like laughing. I am indignant. The idea that we, just after the temperance movement here, and the stand that we have taken, should appear to be made party to such proceedings as this. I know it. But, Susan, do you believe your plan will succeed? Gentlemen are sensitive where their invitations to special ladies are concerned. And besides, some of those who are most in danger will take offense the quickest at the thought that they are not strong enough to withstand a whole avalanche of temptation. Are you sure you can accomplish this thing if you undertake it? No, she answered in perfect good humor. Not at all. I don't know whether it will work or not. And what is more, I never shall know until I try. There has many a thing been accomplished in this world that never would have been had people settled it in their minds that it couldn't be done before they had made vigorous efforts to do it. What I am sure of is that I mean to try. Now, do you? Go ahead, General, he said with a queer smile on his face. I'm your obedient servant. Before the two parted, Miss Susan had made out a list of names for each of them, names of persons who were to be influenced, if possible, to withdraw their acceptance of invitations to an entertainment got up by the young gentlemen of the rival literary society. End of section 6